the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left. Hello and welcome to your favourite MCU podcast designed for your ear holes. Uh, as we are now heading deeper and deeper into phase two. So after last week's, shall we say, a controversial episode with Iron Man 3, we are heading to the dark world with the god of thunder himself, Thor. Uh, so, but as always, before we kick off proceedings, please allow me to introduce my fellow co-hosts. Starting, as always, with a man who is almost annoying as the woman on the London Underground in Thor The Dark World who thinks you can make it to Greenwich from Charing Cross in three stops. It's not even on the same line. <laughs> it's Mr. Robert Trot. Rob, say hello. 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 Uh, Rob, uh, shall we jump into your nickname this week? What have you nicknamed yourself on our Zoom chat this week? This week, I kind of went for Thor. If there was a... Oh, no. <laughs> My thinking was, if there was like an MCU film like The Life of Brian, where it told the story of Malekith, the Dark Elf, but simultaneously there was a man who was being mistaken for him, he would be called Male Keith. Right. Fantastic. You need help. I like it. And secondly, (laughs) uh, the man whom this very podcast is about, he was not the biggest fan of the first four. And if our last episode proved anything, we won't <laughs> like him when he's angry. But of course, his secret all along is that he's always angry. It's Colin Brain. Colin, say hello. Hello, everyone. So, um, as you guys can probably see, uh, because we are recording this over Zoom, I am recording in my living room tonight and not the usual room where I usually record. So quality may be temperamental. And this uh, Colin, as a sound engineer, is probably going to have a stroke right now. But I have cracked open a window as well uh, because <laughs> it's, it's absolutely boiling tonight. Yeah, so no, it's all right. um, I'm sure everything will be OK. And it's so hot. As you can see, I'm wearing my work shirt still uh, in this podcast, but I am. In my box of shorts as well. So it really it's completes the experience, I think, for the listener. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the shirt is all business, but anything below, that's strictly pleasure, baby. <laughs> I apologize uh, as well because every week when we record this, I'm in my living room. <laughs> and in your boxes. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> uh, so, are we both well? Yeah, man. Doing good. People could probably hear it on my voice. I've got a. a a post-cold tombra to, oh. to my uh, my tones. I'm look. I'm looking forward to the some of the uh, the vocals coming out of you today. Then, yeah, it's going to be on the lower, lower than last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you so want to voice everyone, phlegm. everyone, get on the toilet for this one. <laughs> uh, so I've been paranoid ever since we recorded our last episode that my little um, game of guess who pops up in the MCU was actually a load of rubbish. But I've I've come to the conclusion that it was a good game. I will slightly <laughs> agree with Rob that it lacked a certain payoff, but it will eventually pay off. Mm. It's just a game that maybe requires a little bit of patience. So like another all the thing best I've games. been. <laughs> now another thing i've been patiently awaiting as well is your response to this film colin because 
Uh, I think it's safe to say me and Rob were expecting you to love Iron Man 3 because we sure did and we do. Um, <laughs> so then, spoilers, For the Dark World isn't exactly the most loved film in the franchise. Yeah. And as soon as we finished recording our Iron Man 3 episode, I immediately got a text from Rob saying, he's going to like The Dark World, isn't he? <laughs> 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 um, but that's one of the, uh, the many reasons I love this journey that we're on. Because as always, uh, it's good to get the opinion of someone that's not like a little fanboy like yeah, us. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, Rob, uh, before we uh, jump into the deep dive and then the opinions of the film, I want you to guess right now, did Colin enjoy Thor The Dark World? Because Colin is something of a wild card now, I think. Certainly more than Iron Man 3. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'll, I'll bet on that. So far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. So, um, as always, before we get Colin's opinion, uh, you boys relax as I provide a small background to the film to both Colin and our listeners. Colin, as always, I know I say every week, any question, please ask away. And I'm sure me and Rob will be able to answer. Um, but some of the information I provide might be able to answer that as well. So are you ready? Let's go. Awesome. (laughs) Did you just say no? (laughs) Yeah, of course he did. such a troll i'm like a i'm like loki full of mischief the god of mischief so uh after the success of the first thor film and the fact that marvel you know they didn't really have any issues or problems with the film's first director uh kenneth branner they immediately offered uh for him to come back and take on the sequel but unfortunately mr branner decided not to return citing it was a long time making the first film and they were way too quick to get me straight back into another. It was a very pleasurable experience and a film I'm very proud of, but I shall not be returning to direct the sequel. So Marvel wanted to make a sort of a grittier, darker Thor movie that still felt tonally a little bit similar to the first one. So then the biggest, the biggest TV show on TV at the time was a show called Game of Thrones. Uh, a show that I'm assuming, Colin, because you have no pop culture knowledge whatsoever that you have not seen. I haven't seen a single second of any of it, mate. There we go. Uh, so then Marvel started to take a look at some of the directors of that TV show to see if they could find a director for this sequel. So they had a couple of positive meetings at first with a director called Brian Kirk. He directed a couple of episodes in Game of Thrones' first season, uh, as well as done episodes of uh, Luther and uh, Dexter as well. Now, this is where, and to quote the incredible musical Hamilton, uh, unfortunately, we weren't in the room where it happened. So, but, so for reasons unknown, Marvel, you know, before they officially announced Brian Kirk as director, suddenly decided they were going back to the drawing board and uh, it, he, would, uh, he would not be uh, the director for this film. So then um, Natalie Portman decided to use some of her star power, I guess, and mentioned to Marvel that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the end of the world if they hired a female director. Because we're eight films into the MCU now, and so far every single film has been directed by a middle-aged white guy. Uh, it's not the best look for Marvel. 
And and Marvel kind of agreed. Uh, so they started approaching various female directors, uh, you know, to take us all to Asgard and beyond. Uh, so in September 2011, Marvel announced that they hired Patty Jenkins to direct. So Patty Jenkins directed a film back in 2003 called Monster. Uh, it starred Charlize uh, Theron and it actually won her the Oscar for Best Actress in that film. But Patty Jenkins has also done some TV work as well. I know, Colin, you're a fan of the TV show The Killing. Mm. Yeah. Um, Pat- Patty Jenkins directed the pilot episode uh, for The Killing. So she'd done some lots of film work and some um, quite acclaimed TV work as well. So um, they actually uh, asked her to join and she did come on board to direct the sequel. And, the, and Marvel finally had a female director inside the MCU. Uh, for three months at least because uh, in december 2011 patty jenkins then left the project uh, citing creative differences this didn't actually go down too well with natalie portman either so there was some tension shall we say before this was even due to start filming so dc marvel sort of like counterpart i guess uh, uh who are worn uh owned by warner brothers actually sort of capitalized on the disappointment surrounding uh, the departure of patty jenkins on this project and offered her to write and direct wonder woman for them uh, which she accepted and she actually made a cracking film wonder woman's really good uh she since she since made wonder woman 2 and now actually set to make a star wars movie so patty jenkins still went on to do uh great great things so what were those creative differences? I hear you screaming at me, Colin. Well, um, in the words of Patty Jenkins herself, I pitched them that I wanted to do a version of Romeo and Juliet. I wanted Jane to be stuck on Earth and Thor to be stuck where he is and Thor to be forbidden to come and save Jane because Earth doesn't matter. And then by coming to save her, they end up discovering that Malekith is hiding the dark energy inside of Earth because he knows that Odin doesn't care about Earth. So he's using Odin's disinterest in Earth to trick him. And so it was like I wanted it to be a grand movie based on Romeo and Juliet, a war between the gods and the Earthlings and Earth saves the day and ends up saving Earth. So there's kind of there's some story elements of patty's original version of a film in the dark world but it's clear that you know that's not the story marvel wanted to tell so literally just a few weeks after uh, patty jenkins departure uh, departure marvel announced her replacement another middle-aged white dude uh, named alan taylor so marvel went back to the game of thrones well and hired one of their directors Mar- uh, marvel fans were also intrigued when it was announced that Tom Hiddleston would be back as Loki, but they were still in the casting process of the villain. So, Colin, have you ever seen the TV show Hannibal? Yeah, yeah, I did. I don't know if I watched all of it. Definitely the first two seasons, for sure. Okay, cool. So, the villain role was actually offered to Mads Mikkelsen, who played Hannibal uh, in the Hannibal TV show. He got the offer to play Malekith the Dark Elf, but at the pretty much the exact same time Marvel sent him this offer, he also got the offer to play Hannibal Lecter in uh, oh, right. Hannibal. Uh, the only downside was that both projects were set to shoot at the same time. So good old Mads actually had to make a decision and he ended up passing on Marvel and signing on for Hannibal. 
think he Oilers, made the right I think, decision. I, yeah. He made the right decision <laughs> oh, for sure. They call in Hollywood. They call him Mads Bullet Dodger Mickelson. He's nicknamed around the canteen. That is. <laughs> um, so Christopher Eccleston ended up taking on the role of Malekith. He's maybe best known for playing the Doctor in Doctor Who when it was rebooted uh, in 2005. And it's safe to say that Mr. Eccleston will not be back for any future Marvel installments. Uh, as shortly after completing the film, he likened the experience to putting a gun in his mouth and pulling the trigger. Wow. <laughs> what in hell? Uh, it turns out, you know, they shot oh. a lot of backstory surrounding Malekith and uh, loads <laughs> of scenes to um, fully craft like a three-dimensional character. But a lot of it did end up on the cutting room floor. And he ha- he's had some very choice words to say about Marvel in the past. Guys, can you hear that? <sighs> <laughs> Audio commentary facts. Oh. So, it's a bit of a muted one. Yeah. So, the film wasn't shot to have a prologue much like the original film that sort of told the story of Malekith. But it was put there because test audience wanted more on Malekith's background than what they were being given, which implies there was less before wow. they put that beginning bit in. Wow. Yeah, if that's possible. Poor, poor, poor Eccleston. Um, so the only real changes as well that were made during the actual shooting of the films were actually positive ones. Uh, it became very clear early on in the shoot just how much fun the Loki scenes were. And the, the chemistry between between uh, Tom Hiddleston and Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, was actually stronger than ever. So more Loki scenes were added to the film. Mm. And they drafted in Joss Whedon, the writer and director of The Avengers, to uh, make and uh, craft and write a lot of these scenes as well. So Thor The Dark World opened in theatres uh, November 8th, 2013, and it surpassed the gross of the first Thor film in just 19 days. So it had a worldwide total of $644.6 million versus the first Thor's $449 million. So this is what Disney started calling the Avengers effect. Because the Avengers was such a a fun film that audience were just foaming at the mouth for more adventures with these characters. Uh, So it's also, it's safe to say that critically, however, uh, this maybe received the most lukewarm reviews to come out of the MCU so far. Which brings us to the big question, and the one I look forward to and dread every single (laughs) week. (laughs) Colin, what did you think? It was all right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it was. I, I I struggled for the first forty-five minutes. I thought it was really slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the some of the action pieces and that were pretty cool. And yeah, I mean, it, it it was all right. It was just to sort of switch your brain off and just enjoy the ride. By the end of it, you know, it wasn't. I agree, and I'll dig into a little bit more into that later. Yeah, I would somewhat agree with you. Um, what about you, Rob? How was this rewatch for you? I kind of feel the same as I did the first time I watched it. It's that there's fun to be had, but ultimately it's a bit of a mess. But there's mm. there's lots of bits where I go, oh, that, I like that bit and that bit. Yeah, but it didn't sort of come together as a full yeah, working thing for me. But mm. I definitely had fun. Yeah, I've you know, I've been dreading 
this one for a while because I can distinctly remember not really enjoying this film. Uh, I think it's my least rewatched Marvel movie alongside mm. Iron Man 2. Um, and I was, I was disappointed because this was released at a time when we were getting, you know, one or two Marvel movies a year. So there's always such like a massive build up surrounding these films that maybe, you know, shame on me that I walked into the cinema expecting this massive thrilling maybe sci-fi movie and instead walked out feeling a little bit meh but yeah you know there's something about seeing these once a week for this podcast that kind of almost changes my perspective a little bit i think it's almost like you know every week a new comic book issue arriving to my house and i get to see what these different characters have been up to uh, that week so not every issue needs to change my life we know big ones are coming up soon and things like that so squeezed in between all these other films i didn't dislike this as much as i usually do but agreed with both of you it's far from perfect i mean uh, on paper alan taylor of game of thrones directing this is seems like the perfect choice sort of before it come out knowing that you'd go into yeah. it sort of thinking this is going to be great because all of these episodes of game of thrones are great mm-hmm. he's the perfect fit and I think it could, your expectations can only go down from there when yeah. it's not that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's nowhere near the intelligence of Game of Thrones, well, from the first few seasons at least. Um, yeah, it, it, they maybe set, set themselves up. I don't know. I, who knows what happened, really, with, with uh, Alan Taylor. I know he's had to say a few words about Marvel as well. He he definitely feels like the film he shot wasn't the film that was edited once he handed everything over to Marvel. Um, so, you know, let's let's do a deep dive and let's, let's get into this film, really. So, eons ago, Boar, father of Odin, clashes with the dark elf Malekith who seeks to unleash a weapon known as the Aether on the Nine Realms. After conquering Malekith's forces, including enhanced warriors called the Cursed, on their homeworld of Svartalheim, uh, Bor <laughs> safeguards the Aether. There's a lot of words in here that I, I'm struggling with. I'm so looking... I was... <laughs> I've been looking forward to this bit all day. I've, I've been thinking he's going to be struggling with some of this Jesus. shit. Jesus. <laughs> to quote um, command, if you put a question mark on the teleprompter, he will read it. <laughs> Bor safeguards the ether within a stone column. Unknown to Bor, Malekith and a handful of dark elves escape into suspended animation. So we've got, we've kind of already touched it. So much like the first Thor movie, we get an extended intro of sorts, uh, detailing the backstory we need before we jump into the meat of the plot. Um, so Colin, this backstory, this action sequence, how are we feeling? You know, eager anticipation, a uh, sense of dread. At this point, I was just sort of ready to, yeah, I guess, I guess anticipation. I mean, from the Avengers, I've definitely become more of a fan of Thor. So mm. it's like I wasn't going into this film thinking, "Oh Jesus Christ, I'm not really bothered about this one." I, I was excited to see where they take it, and obviously Loki being probably my favourite character so far in terms mm. of I was looking forward to seeing more of him. So yeah, it was just I was just ready to get on with it. Really, sounds good. Um, I would say. Um the, this this beginning, I felt like it throws a lot of like exposition and plot details at us, and I I remember thinking if I was watching this for the first time, I wouldn't have a damn clue what was being mm. said because you know it <laughs> sets up the convergence 
Uh, yeah, the there was a lot of yeah, there was a lot of like, like yeah, Malekith is already in there, but it never expands upon any of them. Yeah. So at this point, I know these things exist, but I couldn't tell you what they are, what significance they had to the plot so far. Um, any thoughts yeah. on the intro, Rob? Uh, would you guys like to know something technical about the that introduction? I'd love yeah. to. Well, let me get out my trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> Audio commentary facts. Oh, so the <laughs> you you probably won't be surprised actually that the the whole of that prologue was computer generated apart from Christopher Eccleston, um the actor that plays Curse, whose name mm-hmm. I haven't written down because I forgot mm-hmm. it. I forgot to. Who who plays Mr. Echo in Lost? Do you want to do that again without an accent? <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Mr. Echo. <laughs> and uh, the actor that played Boar as well, which was Tony Curran, um, they were the only things that were real. But fans of Marvel might be interested to know that that, that was done by Blur Digital, which is the effects company of a, a man called Tim Miller, who went on to direct Deadpool. Good job I didn't save that for trivia because <laughs> Colin yeah. looks less enthralled. Just going to go put the kettle on and get another coffee on the go, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can remember Tim Miller came from VFX and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I found that interesting for sure. Our listeners um, right now are like rubbing their hands together and going, ooh. Yeah. That's That's juicy. <laughs> but no, it did. It did look very. Um, I'm not shocked by you telling me that it was all CGI. It was. Uh... Yeah. Um, so, any other thoughts on the intro, Rob? Yourself? It, I mean, now knowing it, like for sure that it is tacked on, it it feels more apparent to me that it, that was the case. It never really added anything to me. I don't think it. Um, I mean, I explode. I, I suppose it explains the ether a bit. Mm-hmm. But I don't really feel like, other than that, it sort of builds on um, Malekith or anything. Yeah, it did throw a lot of spiel at you, where you're just kind of like, I hope they tell you what all this means. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, this must be like the third or fourth time I've watched this film, and even I was like, hang on. Slow down. From memory, I'm pretty sure after about the first minute, I paused it and put the subtitles on, <laughs> just so I could keep up with everything they were saying. Yeah, I'd There's love a lot to have them. seen uh, Andy Hopkins in the 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 booth doing it. Yeah. It would have been amazing. I reckon he'd have been just sort of rolling his eyes, <laughs> counting his money. So, uh, in present day Asgard, Loki stands imprisoned for his war crimes on Earth. Meanwhile, Thor, alongside the warriors Fandral, Volstagg, and Sif, battle marauders on Vanaheim. It's the final battle in a war to pacify the Nine Realms, following the reconstruction of the Bifrost, or the, the Rainbow Bridge, between realms, which had obviously been destroyed two years earlier in the first Thor movie. So the Asgardians soon learn that the Convergence is a rare alignment of the Nine Realms is imminent, Uh, As the event approaches, portals linking the worlds appear at random. And also back on Asgard, it is clear to everyone that Thor is distracted, his home being on Asgard, but his heart being back on Earth. So the Battle of Vanaheim, I would have loved that battle to be a little longer. 
it definitely lacked the the feeling of a big battle to me it's quite clear it was just a field in england there was there's no scale to it um i don't know whether it was like a budget issue or a time issue but you know Surely by this point, there's no budget issues, is there? Like, well, who knows? Because it does. It, it just feels very cheap. But yeah. there is an action sequence coming up soon that feels a lot better to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, would it kill to have Thor in this scene, you know, throw a lightning bolt or two? Mm. Or, you know, even go against an enemy that maybe puts up a bit of a fight? Because, you know, I think if Thor had a battle that proved challenging it would be way more impactful if you know that he'd been in he'd been fighting tell show us you know he'd been fighting these battles for two years just because of what loki did and you know two years of constant wars and fighting you know would do lots to any of our avengers but even thor he's at the you know he's at the tail end of these two years now he kind of walks into this battle quips yeah. a couple of cool lines takes down Spins the villain with, hammer about with yeah he <laughs> takes him down with one swing of the hammer um i know it's two minutes of screen time but it makes the last two years to me feel uh, look and feel a bit easy i'd say um any thoughts on the battle of vanaheim i know there's, it was not the longest thing in the world it felt a bit larp to me like live action role play, yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> it, I can't put it the other way. It was a bit actually, weren't it? Yeah, yeah. I know, like lots of people put lots of time and effort into that scene, and I've just <laughs> completely undone yeah. it all in one sentence. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a bit lackluster. I, I mm. much enjoyed. I wanted to get back to Loki and Odin mm. more because that stuff interested me. Seeing where. Yeah, their relationship is after Thor and Avengers. That that mm-hmm. stuff was just yeah, it's more engaging than seeing more and- compelling for sure. Uh, so yeah, Colin, we we get to see Loki again. Um, so this is now our third appearance of Loki. Not bored of him yet? No, not at all. I think I just think the guy just plays the character very well. I mm-hmm. think. I mean, I probably said it. Um, in one of the last ones when we were talking about Loki, but it's, it almost reminds me of um, The Dark Knight, you know, with um, with Heath Ledger, and every time mm. he comes on the screen, he almost steals it, no matter who's, who he's in there with. And I think it's sort of similar in this one, especially in this one, actually, because the more I watch the other characters, the less impressed I am, let's just say, with the acting chops, maybe, if I was being overly critical. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think Tom Hiddleston just, yeah, he's just like the one that... that yeah, he's playing playing the role well, you know. So. Yeah, you can't take your eyes off him. Yeah, I I, I understand that, uh, and I agree with you, Rob, as well, because um, I really I do like that little scene with um, Loki and Odin at the beginning there, um, if only because it gives us another incredible line delivery from Anthony Hopkins. Oh, I was uh, going something- to introduce a new segment. <laughs> Something along the lines. Go, go on. Before, before I do the impression, I know you're going to do it, so go for it. Oink, 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 oink. It's a hammy, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to try and get some pig sounds to go in on that bit when we do the <laughs> Yeah, really make it feel like we're in a farmyard. <laughs> yeah, do you want to do the impression, George? Do you want to do the honour? Um, I'll try. Um, or should we both do it and see... From Colin, who should we get a bonus point for the trivia game? <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't do impressions, so you are definitely going to beat me. Don't. 
but um, I, I, it is what sticks out in this film for me. How he reads this script and goes, this is how I'm going to say this word, is incredible. So it's something along the lines of, your birthright was to die <laughs> it's the delay of the t after yeah, birthright yeah, yeah. it's so good it's, it's the t is its own word <laughs> like, <laughs> loki says like it's my birthright to be king your birthright <laughs> is to die <laughs> as a child <sighs> it's intense oh it's there, so good there's some great Great Hopkins ham in this. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest. Um, so in in this sequence as well. I mean, they're definitely setting up Lady Sif to be some sort of love but interest then what here, aren't they? And like, it was so odd. <laughs> like the whole thing is I so. Half baked. I was so expecting her to be like a big part of the film, and then she just kind of drifts away. (laughs) Gone. (laughs) They introduce it, and it's gone. So yet again, that surely there's a lot left on the cutting room floor here because there's I know there's no other way to describe it other than half baked because they you know there's even that one moment later and I'm no I'm jumping forward a little bit where Lady Sif actually meets Jane Foster and yeah. they, they share this look and clearly yeah, 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 yeah. there's something intended by the filmmaker there but it just all fades away like a fart in the wind did um did the act have you has the actress ever come out and said anything or what, did you, le- for did lady you any, sif yeah yeah did she ever have anything to say about that no not that no. i can remember i know well during research for this episode she did injure herself filming and they lost her for about one to two months she was filming a dialogue scene and uh she fell down some stairs and managed to chip 11 vertebrae all in her back so she um, was obviously not on set for a long time after then. So maybe there was something else due, but she got injured and it had to be cut, or maybe they did shoot it. I'm I'm not entirely sure um, at all, really. Mm, interesting. The Warriors 3 just feel a bit disposable, didn't they? Like, you do without them, and you wouldn't miss them whatsoever. Oh, the, war- the Warriors 3 are not. In if you the- offered me, if you offered me a million pounds right now to tell you what any of their names are, I would not have a fucking clue. To be honest with you, <laughs> you don't I remember mean- Fandrell, the uh, the actor from the previous film, said that he was playing it like R. Kelly. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, I do remember that. He's gone. I don't think it's related to that quote, but he's not yeah. in this one. Yeah, Jesus pointless. Christ! Yeah, and then we've got. Um, who is so bad that I can only remember him as Jackie Chan because of that horrendous oh, racist sh- moment in the first film. Yeah, he's like, oh, we've, we've got one. We've got Xena Warrior Princess oh. to Hogan. Yeah, and 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 Jackie Chan. Yeah, that was, that did not age well, did it? That one. <laughs> no. Um, so let's continue. Um, we should do a segment on things that haven't aged well over the years for the MCU. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> up there. <laughs> that is, yeah, that would win. That's got to be up there. In London, astrophysicist Dr. Jane Foster and her intern Darcy Lewis travel to an abandoned factory where such portals have appeared, disrupting the laws of physics around them. Separating from the group, Foster is teleported to another world where she absorbs the ether. Heimdall alerts Thor that Foster has moved beyond his all 
near-seeing vision, uh, leading Thor to Earth. When Thor finds Foster, she inadvertently releases an unearthly force, and Thor returns with her to Asgard. Odin, recognising the Aether, warns that the Aether will not only kill Foster, but that its return heralds a catastrophic prophecy. So, well, Colin, one thing I did notice on this viewing was that one of your criticisms from the first film was actually improved. Asgard felt lived in. Yeah, man, there was people, right? There was yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, and it was an actual city populated with... Uh, with there was, I like that. Yeah, uh, and it, this had never occurred to me, really, before you brought it up, and I can definitely see uh, the difference in this film as well. So, I mean, I'm assuming you noticed it too, like you've just I did, there. actually. It was one of the... I was thinking to myself, I wonder if they're going to bulk it out a bit and make it feel like there's actual civilization on there. And yeah, it felt it felt like it. Yeah, they definitely improved on Asgard in this scene, in this uh, film. So you've got obviously where Thor is walking around, chatting to Odin. There's people training in the background and yeah. things like that. So it's definitely that that texture that uh, I think Asgard was was missing. Um, mm. But another one of your criticisms from the first film now remind me. Was it that you didn't like the scenes on Earth, but did like the scenes on Asgard, or was it the yeah. other way around? No, it was that. It was, it was just. It felt like it was two different vibes. You know, like you'd be in Asgard and it would be a bit more serious, and that, and then you get down to in- uh, not England. It was it was somewhere in America, wasn't it? In the last yeah, time. it was like that I little town remember. that had no personality Fake whatsoever. Town, USA. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, and then it just felt like you were watching like a sitcom. You know, mm-hmm. and and I just didn't. Yeah, it didn't really vibe with me. Okay, so then how did the scenes in London work for you? Because of them, you know, later on in the film, they still attempt some of that, you know, fish out of water humor for Thor, um, mm. not not as effectively as in the first film, I think. Because you've got like, like previously mentioned, you've got the scene of Thor using the London Underground. Um, yeah. You got Thor arriving to someone's apartment in London. I can't remember who's mm. uh, where he hangs up like Mjolnir on the coat rack and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. how did the scenes in London work for you? initially i wasn't feeling it at all mm-hmm. i didn't like the um i thought the introduction of of um darcy's assistant was a bit was just a bit kind of yeah. throw away the interns really interns yeah 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 that that whole part of it was a bit like just felt a bit tacked on for no reason mm-hmm. um I, I preferred london as a setting over you know the, the artificial sort of, town yeah yeah the artificial town um so that was quite cool and i think it it played better later on in the film with the action sequences in certain areas there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I've got to be honest, the humour by the end of the film was starting to win me over a bit. Oh, and that God. was, and that was due to what's his face, old um, Selvig, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, love a bit of Selvig. He, yeah, he had some like the. I think it was like. I'd better get my pants or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, and, and actually, the whole coat hanger thing did make me laugh. Oh, that, okay. that got a giggle out of me. Um, but other than that, it kind of fell into the same sort of sitcom-y, like, mm-hmm. uh, I, there was a lot of head shaking going on after the one-liners and stuff from my end. It was okay. a lot, sort of like a... Oh, well, no, trust me, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> about this. I can live with this. Good. Uh, Rob, what about you? These London scenes, did they work in the film? Did they not? Oh... There's bits I have issues with and there's bits I don't. Mm-hmm. I agree with Colin, though, that Selvig is amazing. If you're interested, I've got a little a bonus fact, a bonus fact. He's only got oh. a done it. It's a bonus fact. <laughs> <laughs> so bonus feature time. Selvig had the quote of the thing for me. So basically it cut to him and he said, so in order to prepare, um, I 
I walked around my house naked to see if I could do it. And then he took a real long pause and said, I could do it. <laughs> I liked. He, he's a, he's a, a national treasure. His old Stellan Skarsgård to mm-hmm. Sweden, not to the UK, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was. I some of the London stuff just felt like your typical London stuff of here's a landmark, here's another landmark, yeah, here's yeah. another landmark. I did like they used Greenwich for the sort mm. of the climax of the film, but I thought the fight mm-hmm. was a bit. I'm sure we'll get to it. But yeah, yeah I, we will. Certain things worked, other bits didn't. I loved the no. this the the stuff with the truck and the physical effects and yeah, all that, that stuff. That was a that was a big selling point in the trailer. I think the first mm. thing you see in the trailer is the truck sort of revolving in midair as Jane approaches it. Yeah, and it, it was a bit like a what is this? Is, mm. What's going on here? Yeah, it was. It's it's really nice imagery for sure. I really like the visuals in this film. Actually, I agree with you guys as well about Asgard being more lived in, and it was when George was saying about Thor and Odin having a chat. That I feel the second moment of Hopkins ham, oik, 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 came in. And the, the jingles are work in progress. I haven't pre planned it. I, I can, can tell, tell by Hopkins ham, oink, oink, oink. I can tell it's a work in progress. <laughs> I don't know what you're on about. It's been, it's been weeks on it. Um, so there's a bit where he, Hopkins um, ham, oink, oink, oink. <laughs> Oh, kind of, I'm hoping that Colin can sort of put some sort of beat oh. on the back of that. Doesn't and, need anything. And, a beat. <laughs> that's what it's lacking. Just a beat. If, if that's a challenge. If you can make that. Challenge accepted, mate. <laughs> a good oh, jingle. Almighty. I'll be impressed. But there's a bit where Thor is sort of chatting to Odin and saying, oh, I wouldn't be able to do it without your guidance or whatever. And he comes back and said, you must think me a piece of bread who needs to be buttered so heavily. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Another line I love. Yes, for sure. Probably for a ham sandwich. Oh, there we go. Um, so let's continue. <laughs> oh, uh, Malekith, awakened by the ether's release, turns Algrim into a cursed and attacks Asgard. During the battle, Malekith and Algrim search for Jane Foster, sensing that she contains the ether. Thor's mother Frigga is killed protecting Jane, and Malekith and Algrim are forced to flee without Foster. <laughs> Sorry, What's mother happened? Frigga. <laughs> what are we laughing at? That's what, what we're doing? laughing at. You say Thor's mother Frigga. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah, but yeah, okay, I didn't say that. Um, so, uh, Rob, the attack on Asgard, uh, pulse racing or nap inducing? A, a mix of both. Okay. I, f- <laughs> I really like the moment where the curse decides not to break Loki out and he's like, sort of leads to his own mum being killed by saying, you know, Up take the steps to the, the left. left. Yeah. But I don't think it's, a- I think that's their intention. That that's what they want to sort of get across, but I don't think it works that much because you can kind of feel like he might have found her anyway, regardless. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it didn't really. I think that would have been a, a nicer plot point if Loki had been, you know, his directions or shortcut had ended yeah. up being the direct reason why she died, not 
Mm-hmm. Like, she would have died anyway, regardless yeah. if he had made up that Malekith was going to kill her. So I just think it would have been more interesting. But, f- I mean, from all of the audio commentary facts, you can tell that I don't want it to be. I'm aware, acutely aware this week that so far it's been, Rob, what do you think? Well, I've got a shit jingle yeah. for you. Here's, here's a jingle. <laughs> and a fact. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, they, they've sort of said that they wanted it to be that Loki is tinged with guilt for being the one that led him to his mum and things, but I don't think that really comes across. I think he's, you know, riddled with grief, but not... Um, not guilt. Yeah. The elf bombs were good. I love the oh, elf oh, bombs. Yeah. They sort of lob those things. They sort of create like a mini black hole and stuff. Yeah. I agree. I, I think that's a really, really nice effect. And it's a, it's a cool weapon to have. Very sci-fi for sure. Uh, mm. Colin, what about you? The attack on Asgard? Yeah, I, I really like this. This is, this is where the film started to actually kind of get me a, slightly interested. Yeah, I like um, it too. I thought, I think visually actually in this film, I, there was, I thought it was great. Mm. All, almost all of the visual effects were, you know, everything down from the ether, like going into Jane and, mm-hmm. And uh, this especially, I'm probably going to piss off another group of nerds now by referring to it as it kind of reminded me of Star Wars a bit with all of the lasers and the and the ships like the, they kind of reminded me of the X-wings in the old Star mm-hmm. Wars and stuff. And that kind of brought my little like grin to my face. Yeah, I so can see it that. was quite it was quite cool. And and old Mother Frigga, she was kicking some ass, man. Before she got done, I was quite. She impressed does get a very her. cool action scene. Yeah, yeah, I was quite impressed with her skills before she got um finished off. But yeah, man, this was li- this was the point. I. Think I think it probably was around 45 50 minutes into the movie uh this was when i was sort of a bit like oh okay cool there's something something's happening now yeah and, um, cheeky you know, idris um, got a nice little moment as well with heimdall like jumping on that yeah, ship yeah he was he was really good in stuff. this one it was nice to see his character fleshed out a bit more actually that was another one of the things that i i really enjoyed yeah he's really like him on it. screen yeah and he's yeah. again he's such a good actor man he himself was the man he himself was the man yeah he's great um so yeah like i said i enjoyed attack on asgard it feels big uh much mm. bigger obviously than the, the battle of vanaheim uh, it has a sense of scale to it uh, and more importantly there's stakes to the battle too so you know no battle or fight scene is ever going to be effective if it doesn't have stakes um and no stakes are proven by the death of mother frigga um i also <laughs> uh you know i really like that you know I, I think rob sort of mentioned this as well that loki starts off this battle almost as like an intrigued witness um mm. only to then actively play a part in it by directing them to places that would really hit like asgard's defenses and obviously lead them to uh frigga herself um and yeah it adds it adds a lot to his already sort of complicated character that he's assisted the dark elves in this battle but there is maybe remorse and guilt um when frigga is killed during it as well so despite Odin's orders not to leave Asgard, Thor reluctantly enlists the help of Loki, who knows of a secret portal to oh, to Svartalheim. I'd said it earlier on easily, and now I've struggled again. Where they will use <laughs> Foster to lure and confront Malekith away from Asgard. In return, Thor promises Loki vengeance on Malekith for killing their mother, with Volstagg and Sif stalling Asgardian soldiers and Fandral assisting their escape, Law, oh, Law, <laughs> Thor, Loki, and Foster head to Svartalheim. Now, to me, 
this is where things actually started getting really fun for me. Like you said, Colin, with the battle of uh, Asgard as well. Um, and there is this whole sequence where it feels like for the first time in the film, the filmmakers were actually starting to have some fun too. So you've got the, the montage of everyone telling Thor that Loki's going to betray him. I, I, I find that montage a lot of fun because it makes you, you know, in a weird way, excited to see Loki betray Thor. Yeah. Now, I know this might sound like a silly question, Colin Brain, but did you actually trust Loki going into the final stretch of this film? Initially, I don't actually know. I think I was just ready to go along with it and, and mm. see where it went. I mean, I didn't. I guess I didn't really put that much thought into it at that point. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of going along with it and uh, waiting and seeing. But I, w- I wouldn't. I, at any point, I would never have been surprised if he just fucks everyone over. Yeah. That's kind of. That feels like that's always in his back pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so, Rob, even though the moment is, is fleeting. Um, Surely you got a kick out of seeing Loki turn himself into into Captain America. Now you know what I just said <laughs> about <laughs> God. Here we sake. go. Which one is it now? Every single time. <laughs> Audio commentary facts. So originally that was Tom Hiddleston doing an impression of Chris Evans. Mm. in the costume as well which can be seen on like deleted scenes and stuff as well oh. but it was instead of in case they couldn't get chris evans to come in and 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 um you know play the part they were going to have loki in the costume kind of half mimicking him doing the a very good chris evans impression yes so that when chris evans came was available and came in and did it he decided he was going to just mimic Tom Hiddleston sort of exaggerated the impression of himself. Right. So he got to be like this sort of goofy version of Captain America, which, mm. yeah, I mean, I got, I remember getting a kick out of that in the cinema as well. For sure. I, I think I saw this film twice in the cinema and both times, I think that's what got the biggest response in the film from the audience. That scene always sort of brought the house down. It's like you said, that whole sequence is so fun. And, and the way they, it is edited together, the whole, like seeing the plan enacted, Whilst mm-hmm. they're sitting down and planning it, and the the whole re- recurring joke of if you if you betray him, I will kill you, mm-hmm. and so evidently there'll be a line, which yeah. is a great payoff to it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really really fun. I I, I I love the sort of like you said that escape moment where they're on the sort of weird Viking ships. I like the weird Asgardian ships that they have as well well it's one thing that chris hemsworth said uh actually going into this film he wanted lots of viking mythology and viking imagery in this film as well so they really wanted to add to that yeah yeah it works really well then like the payoff to the whole thing of loki being like (laughs) ta-da when they actually get to safatulheim as (laughs) i thought i'd give a a horrible stab at it as well um yeah it's it's great it's Mm. really good fun i agree uh So I know that maybe we had issues um, with Thor and Jane's love story the first time around. Did they improve upon it here, Rob? Mm, Not really. I I was like, well, you clearly have more life experience and in common and chemistry and tension with Lady Sif. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't think, but I don't think it's necessarily this film's fault. I don't think the the first film 
really made it clear what he, what their bond was and what their mm-hmm. connection was. Mm-hmm. Other than he's Chris Hemsworth and he's a buff ting. <laughs> yeah, uh, Colin, I know you had some issues with the love story the first time around. Did they, did they at least improve in this one? I mean, I think I used the term fuck eyes for the first time yes. um, in relation to yeah. their uh, Hopefully not the last. <laughs> and um, and that was definitely ringing true again, especially when she ended up in um, in Asgard mm-hmm. with, him, with him and they like stood out on one of the kind of balconies and stuff and they're just looking into each other's eyes and it's like, Jesus, is oh, yeah, there not more to this? He's talking about the convergence and then yeah. putting his hands in between her yeah, oh, like, oh, they link come on, together. Man. It's very Brenty. It, yeah, it's just a bit like it's just it's a shame really because why not just flesh them out a bit more and make them a bit more of like an actual thing? It's just it's just boring. It feels very juvenile of like oh, attractive woman, hench guy. All they want to do is bang each other every time mm-hmm. they're on screen together. You know, it was uh, she slaps him, didn't she? And she's like, where did you mm. go? Like, and I like that there was like consequences to Avengers and stuff. Like she was saying, yeah, you just disappeared. I have mm-hmm. no idea where the hell you went. And, and he's like, well, the, b- the Bifrost was destroyed. And she was like, you were in New York. Yeah. And then yeah, he just sort of yeah. goes, oh, well, I had to fix stuff. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's that done. That's that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually, I'm completely agreeing with you here, Colin, as well. Uh, I think we needed more one-on-one time to remind us why these two are head over heels with each other. Well, that's the thing. I mean, almost this film is so based around Thor and Jane and mm-hmm. the fact that they're, like, they're drawing each other to one another so much so that they're going between friggin' realms of the universe mm-hmm. and from different worlds and stuff. But then there's no payoff in any of the scenes to, to kind of back that up. No, I think it's too simple to tell an audience, these two are in love and expect them to go with it. Um, mm, yeah. uh, it's no secret that um, Natalie Portman was quite vocal after this movie saying she was done with the MCU actually oh really yeah okay. I think this was a significant waste of her talents actually I think she's an incredible performer Natalie Portman mm. talking of incredible performers uh, we glossed over a short moment of oi going oi going Hopkins Ham <laughs> I'm pr- you've changed the intro oh, changed for it already. Because I'm pretty sure it was Hopkins it was Ham, Hopkins oik, ham oik, 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 And now it's Oik, 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 Oik. <laughs> and you really held the ham on that one as well. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nice. I was going for a hammy delivery. Yeah, remember, it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Well, well, this is the last Hopkins Ham for now. Um, so, for this episode... So there's a moment where Thor says, and how many will fall on theirs, talking about the Dark Elves' swords. And he replies, as many as are needed! <laughs> yes. Like a Dalek. Just just shout the line, Anthony. Just shout it. It's like they sort of said, let's not feed him for a few hours. Prod him <laughs> with a stick to wake him up. Like, you just do this line here, Anthony. As many as are needed! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what about, one of like, the greatest actors of all time, and I'm just reducing him to a big <laughs> ham machine. But, you oh. know, he loves to shout. He does. So, uh, Loki tricks Malekith into drawing the ether out of Foster, but Thor's attempt to destroy the exposed substance fails. Malekith merges with the ether and leaves in his ship as Loki is fatally wounded whilst killing Algrim. 
Thor, cradling Loki in his arms, promises to tell their father of his sacrifice. So then, Colin, two questions. Yep. Loki betraying Thor. Did you fall for it? I think I probably did. With the whole chopping of the arm off and... Well... I mean, there must have been a moment where I did, initially, but then you're kind of thinking, well... Thor isn't going to lose his arm, is he? <laughs> right, okay. like, that, that, was the, that was the way I kind of thought about all of this stuff. And then I guess the second question is, do I think Loki's dead, right? Or did I really th- uh, No, well, we know that he's not dead. But did you fall for it? No. Right. Well, again, it was like, obviously they're trying to set it up, but then like the logic part of my head, the same bit that goes, well, they're not going to chop Thor's arm off, mm-hmm. goes, well, they're not going to kill off the most interesting character in the franchise right (laughs) that was what i thought (laughs) i agree i think the first time i saw it i was more in shock but then realize hang on they'd be so stupid to kill off one of the most beloved characters you know even though he's a villain um rob i know it was many years ago but can you remember seeing these moments for the first time did did the god of mischief fool you i think the stab when he stabbed him on the hill Mm mm-hmm well, then I'm with, like, yeah, with you two when the, the arm went. But if you notice that, that this isn't the first arm that we've lost in this phase so far, mm-hmm. there's been a, a couple of arms lost in um, Iron Man 3 as well, with various different. I think Guy Pierce loses an arm at one point. And so, then there's two arms lost in this film. Yes. Uh, I, you probably are aware of the same thing that. I did read earlier on doing research in that they, Colin being obviously you've mentioned star Wars as well here, that um, one of the big themes in star Wars, or one of the things that keeps happening, especially in the original trilogy is people losing arms. Mm. Um, and they has like a little nod to star Wars decided that in phase two of um, the MCU, that almost, I think every film would involve some character in some form really? losing an arm as a little tribute to, um, yeah, uh, Star Wars. Uh, so afterwards, Thor and Jane Foster uh, discover another portal in a nearby cave and reunite in London with Lewis and Foster's mentor, Dr. Eric Selvig, uh, who was briefly institutionalized due to the mental trauma he suffered during Loki's attack on Earth. They learn that Malekith plans to restore the Dark Elves to dominance by unleashing the Aether at the center of the Convergence in Greenwich. <laughs> uh, Thor battles Malekith through various portals and across multiple worlds until one portal separates them, leaving Malekith unopposed on Earth. Thor returns in time to help his mortal comrades use their scientific equipment to travel Malekith to Svartalheim, where he is crushed by his own damaged ship. So, Rob, final battle time. Did this put other battle sequences in the MCU to shame? Or, like the ether itself, should it be buried away where no one else can find it? (laughs) You missed your Stan Lee moment, Rob. I, I know. I could see him itching. I could see <laughs> him. I know. I don't like interrupting I... you when you're doing your bits. So uh, he just wants his shoes back. Yeah, let's um, let's go for it. Excelsior. He's, so I mean, right. Hang on. 
So <laughs> the audience won't know this, but we just had a brief toilet break. And I said to Rob, Rob, you, this week you are 95% jingle and you have just proved it. <laughs> 96%. 96% now. Oh, I love it. Excelsior! <laughs> <laughs> so this time he is a fellow inmate of Eric Selvig who has had a god in his head and is the only one listening to his scientific lecture and he says he uh, asks his fellow inmates any questions yeah can I have my shoe back <laughs> no idea if this is a really good impression or, that was alright yeah or if I'm just you know really just disrespecting old American guy <laughs> no, it's better than your Anthony Hopkins one for sure yeah, well, obviously. But that's because we have children, George. Not together. <laughs> but they are, my, my son's currently asleep, and if I went full Hopkins... Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd blow up the mic and wake my son up. <laughs> One day, if we ever do a live episode... Yeah, I'll, when you do the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> dresses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the Hopkins... <laughs> And go for Hopkins. Oh, dear. Um, so, I can't believe it. Um, what did you think about the final battle sequence? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've covered it in my... No. Um, I like the idea. It's um, And I also kind of like how they try to link in, you know, Greenwich Mean Time as a, as a reason, you know, linked to some kind of convergence. Like, all the points mm-hmm. on Earth come back there but then the idea that that's where this convergence would happen yeah it kind of worked for me i liked the i did like the jumping from world to world Mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting i just wish it ended in a way that was interesting because it just sort of turned into this weird red filtered blobby mess Mm -hmm. and i just kind of didn't i didn't feel engaged in what they were actually doing in between these jumping worlds it didn't really yeah i think they could have done more with things being brought from you know various races being brought from one place to another like you know someone from earth ends up in you know a different place and mm-hmm. like the events of this film accidentally start off the sort of i don't know just no, more just, civilizations just across just the galaxy now, because this convergence is obviously going to destroy the whole universe how cool would it have been if the whole universe is aware that this convergence is happening and Malekith is planning on this? So that every time they visited a new world or universe, they would have the inhabitants from that world get involved in the battle and try and help Thor. So then by the end of it, you've got almost nine different races or ten different races of people all involved in the battle to help. I think that would Especially have- if... What you'd said as well, that those two years of battles that Thor had done to to bring peace. Yeah, what if they all helped people and that linked it together? I like that. that yeah, that, I mean, that would have worked. We, we, there you go. We've just solved this film. That I, I agree. That would completely work. Uh, Colin, what about you? Were you like sort of emotionally invested in this final battle scene? Did it excite you? I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I don't really know how much in, emotional investment I've even got in any of this. In terms of, oh, just you wait. By this point, just by this point, you wait. <laughs> I mean, I'm not hating every film, but I'm not sat there on like the edge of my seat with a fucking box of tissues to start crying <laughs> if someone dies or whatever. Um, I saw. I, I mean, I agree with a lot of Rob said. I think, 
I admire the creativity behind the idea of the of like the battle mm-hmm. with you know the portals and it bouncing between different different worlds and all that sort of stuff and I think it did allow them to do some pretty interesting stuff visually and and that but it did kind of feel like it was it was a bit all over the place I mean there were parts where you know you I, I didn't even really know what the hell was going on and then it would just be you know, so one of them would grab that friggin' pole thing and press the button, mm-hmm. and then it would say, "You know, it was a little bit like, uh, it, it had a lot of potential, and I don't really think it lived up to it for me." Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't hate it. I still, I, I like I said, the creativity part of it was enough for me to be like, "Oh, this is interesting." Mm-hmm. It's strange rewatching these films as well because certain moments would happen where usually I'd be like, "Oh, that doesn't work," but now it's like Colin will hate that moment. Uh, and one was when um, Thor and Malekith have just fallen through a portal and they land on top of the gherkin and there's that moment inside where they're falling down it Mm -hmm. and the very um, emphasised squeaky noise of them going against the windows (laughs) obviously played for a laugh I was just I was like Colin has got his head in his hands that that bit didn't bother me at all oh okay (laughs) good good Um, so I think the biggest criticism I can give this final set piece is that the second it was over I couldn't tell myself anything that happened in it so I genuinely and this is the honest truth I rewound it and I watched the final battle or the final set piece again Hmm. And it got to the end and I still, I couldn't really tell you anything big that happened in it. Um, so I, we're sort of wrapping up now and I guess this is, this time is as good as any to discuss Malekith then. So Colin, where does he rank in, in terms of villains so far in the MCU? I mean, if I'm totally honest with you, I think the word I'm about to use could sum up the majority of the my opinions of the characters in this specific film, and it would just be indifferent. Mm-hmm. I just didn't really care about them, if I'm honest with you. I mean, that, yeah. No. Um, I, <laughs> so he doesn't rank very high, basically, on my list, no, is what I'm saying. I can completely but, see your, yeah, your yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Rob? It just, um, it just seems like there was a lot of depth that was just either not sort of delved into enough or left on the cutting room floor. So it seems like they come up with a language. They like, did. Um, they did invent a language for the film. Yes. And it's of why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause he speaks English as well in certain scenes. Um, it just was really frustrating because Christopher Eccleston is a great actor and you kind of feel frustrated for him because you think, oh, this could have been really interesting, this idea. If they'd found a compelling reason for you to sort of get behind what he's after. Mm-hmm. I think they're the best villains when you can kind of see, okay, I might not agree with what they're doing, but I can see why they're doing it. Yes. And sure. it just wasn't made clear enough. Like that was, I think that's the main thing that makes this film just feel a bit like yeah. nothing to yeah. me because we he's just nothing yeah colin colin (laughs) Colin said it exactly right completely indifferent towards him so you know i did a little you know digging and some of the backs and some of the backstory uh that was cut was they they had these whole sections uh when it was um set many hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years ago with malekif at home on his home planet with his wife and his children he had a he had Hmm. like a large family we get to know him we get to know his family 
Um, and eventually his entire family is killed right in front of him. And Asgard's not entirely to blame, but some of the blame is laid at their feet. So he's entirely driven by rage and and vengeance. Um, And that's something that's missing, completely missing in the final cut. In the final cut of the film, he's reduced to just being this guy covered in prosthetics who wants to destroy the universe for reasons unknown. Um, Hmm. Yeah, it it was a a massive uh, drop of the ball, I think. So Thor returns to Asgard where he declines Odin's offer to take the throne and he tells Odin of Loki's sacrifice. But as he leaves, Odin's form transforms into Loki, who is alive and impersonating Odin. Now, that's quite a lovely little setup for future storylines. You know, Loki finally has a throne um where is odin uh what will become of asgard now that loki is kind of king um next time baby so uh <laughs> are we excited to see where this goes colin or or are we all thawed out uh no i'm not i'm not all thawed out good <laughs> which is which i'm actually quite i'm actually quite surprised to even say that but yeah um, no i'm not i'm not <laughs> good uh, does the ending of this film work, Rob? Because to me, it feels almost like a bit of a late addition. I, I could be wrong, but it looks like there's a ton of green screen going on in this last scene. Chris Hemsworth almost looks like he's cut and pasted into the scene itself. That's because he was. From the uh, audio commentary facts. Yeah, they weren't in the same room whatsoever. I think right. Hemsworth was in... I want to say China filming something, um, which also ties into the post-credit sequence. He was filming in um, China then as well, because the we'll we'll get to the post-credit sequence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he's not in the scene at all with um, Anthony Hopkins. That makes sense. So yeah, that's Thor: The Dark World. Uh, I think we've sort of given enough opinions on it so i think we should jump straight into our ratings of the film so as we always mention every single week we have our letterboxed uh accounts where we are rating each film so rob has his ratings colin has his and i have mine so then by the end of this journey we will all have our own individual ratings of the films and rankings of the mcu as well uh so Let's start with Mr. Colin Brain out of five for the Dark World. Three. Mm, that's not bad at all whatsoever. Uh, Robert Trot. Two. Oh, <laughs> um, and for me, I'm right there in the middle between the two of you. It's two and a half. Wow. So I felt like there was fun to be had. Um, the Loki stuff is great. I love mm. the moments of Loki betraying Thor. Uh, I like the attack on Asgard. You know, Chris Hemsworth is pretty good in this. Of course, we don't. We haven't really mentioned him too much. But then, come to think of it, they didn't give him loads to do or or anything no. to really chew on because I think moments of weakness or vulnerability are really needed um here and it would have helped the film the film a lot because you know when you have a protagonist who is essentially a god 
I think we need to see him at his vulnerable points. And to me, there wasn't many of them in this yeah. film. The the bits that work for me the most is when they gave that to Loki. Like there's a moment where Thor uh, goes to see him and goes to sort of enlist him. And mm-hmm. he, he says, you know, show me, you know, drop your illusions. And you see that he's trashed the place and he's a mess. He's just yeah. grief stricken. And he's like, now you see me brother. Yeah. But, that stuff was really great when they're on the the boat together and you know they're talking about the trust that they've lost for each other all that stuff is brilliant yeah but loki got more interesting stuff to to do for sure it almost felt like this was a loki film more than a thor film yeah i completely agree um so you know i didn't even really have this question noted but guess i colin i can ask you this so loki is obviously a villain and he's obviously still being set up for future films. Now he's actually the king of Asgard, albeit whilst pretending to be Odin. Yeah. Are we ever going to get a redemption from Loki? Are we ever going to see him be the good guy? Or do we keep him as a villain? Because there was hints of maybe mm. a redemptive arc for Loki and in parts of this all before he faked his death and took over the throne. <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you mean. There's, there's, I, I feel like there's always been that glimmer in there that, that he even has a be. moment of that in Avengers as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and I'd, I'd be up for seeing it if, if they decided to go in that direction. Mm. But that being said, I am mm. enjoying him doing his kind of more villainous, antics at the moment yes so i hope there's more of that to come there's a great moment where he um thor says i will tell father of what you have done here today and he says i didn't do it for him but it's mm-hmm. left completely ambiguous because you're like did he do it for thor did he do it for his mum like or just for himself like mm-hmm. it's it, it's a real nice moment i think i like that they they don't sort of implicitly say yeah, Loki's good now, or mm-hmm. you know, Loki's forgiven Thor. It's all just sort of like left so ambi- ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's a really nice moment. So, shall we jump into trivia time? You know too much for your own good. Now that's what I call using the old head. Okay, uh, who is going first? It's me this time because you last week. Oh yeah, controversially, yeah, I still gave you the point. <laughs> you, yeah, you stole I, me. The I can't, you, got, you got the cousin trivia. and sister thing yes, messed up. Yes, yeah, you know, George said it's pretty much the same thing. That, uh, <laughs> uh, All right, yeah. go for it, Trot. Let's go. Okay, so Alan Taylor loves Christmas. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 so Alan Taylor. <laughs> mentioned whilst on the set of the film to Tom Hiddleston that his daughter was cast as Loki in her school play. So Tom Hiddleston went out of his way and recorded a video for her, giving her a how-to and hints and information on the character. He explained to her that Loki is never not having fun. I like that. And also, George's face... That was yours, No, I just really like it. Oh, it wasn't? Oh, that is... No, that's great, I think it's a very good piece of trivia. And and you you, you know you, you you it seems like you're now thinking of what I'm gonna like as well by by picking a Tom Hiddleston, yeah, um, trivia based. You on mean my to love butter me so heavily <laughs> <laughs> to think of me as a piece of bread? <laughs> go on then, George. Let's go. Your birthright. Uh, Your birthright. 
Um, so, uh, this is a bit of a special effects, uh, trivia here. So we mentioned, you were laughing already. So you mentioned, uh, that we, we quite enjoyed the elf bombs earlier on. Yeah. So obviously I really like the effect of the elf bombs as well. I think they look really good visually. So they actually spent loads of time working out how these visuals were going to look and, they wanted to take it from something based in reality as well. So these sort of black hole grenade effects were actually based on something called depth charges. So in order to capture this effect and in order to figure out how it works or what it looks like, what they would do, they got the, the visual experts hired for this film actually built a massive water tank and they would set explosives off in this water tank to see the form it would take almost as a ball and as to, and they did it at different depths to um, it from the water from 10 meters to 20 meters to 30 meters to see the different stages it would take um, when it explodes. Um, so then, yeah, they ended up basing the visual effect on that little experiment they did uh, in pre-production. That is my trivia. That is also really good, man. Oh. This is the toughest one to date because you've got George's, which is like you know interesting, mm. and and then you've got Rob's, which is more heartfelt and and just sweet. Um, that pretty much sums us up, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I think after last week, I should probably go with the more heartfelt and sweet one just to prove to people that I'm not a complete <laughs> miserable piece of shit. So I'm going to go with Rob's this week. <laughs> I agree. That's why I pulled the face. It's a very nice bit of trivia. Yours did have a lot of depth, though, George. Oh, oh. oh. well, well done. <laughs> So uh, that's that for another week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, please take a look in our episode description for links to our social media channels. You know, we'd love to know if you're doing your own MCU rewatch with this as well. We'd love to have uh, some of you on this journey with us too. So it's time. Oh, please, please. Can people send in their own um, Hammy Hopkins impressions? <laughs> that would be incredible. I want to yes, see please. like a montage of your birthright. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. We'll do. We'll, we'll figure out some prize for the winner or something. Exactly well. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so let's set up next week, shall we? Oh yeah. Mm, so next week we are catching up with our good friend Steve Rogers as we watch Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Colin, say bye. Bye bye. Rob, say bye. Bye. Goodbye. Next time we meet. Let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends. Look out! Oh, he's escaping! I fear we have not seen the last of him. And as always, we are not quite done yet. And I am actually having a little bit of a panic as we speak right now because there are two post-credit scenes for this film and I'm wondering if Colin actually saw both. <laughs> I did see them both. Thank yeah. God. Um, even though <laughs> you didn't really need to. Uh, for one of oh, them. Oh, Christ, not that for last one. one, of one. Them. Um, so in a mid-credit <laughs> scene, Volstagg and Sif visit The Collector and entrust the ether to his care, commenting that with the Tesseract already in Asgard, having two Infinity Stones 
so close together would be unwise. As they leave, the corrector... (sighs) (laughs) Are you going to correct that? (laughs) (sighs) Please don't. Hey everyone, Colin here. Um, Just been mixing this episode and realised that George's mic cut out at the end there. So that's the episode this week. You didn't miss much at the end there. It was essentially another 20 seconds of us just all agreeing that the final post credit scene for this film was not really worth talking about anyway, so probably a blessing in disguise that it's cut out. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take it easy, and we will see you in two weeks' time for the next episode. 